Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I am Jim Galanti. I am with T. Frank Carr. T. Frank, we are fully into training camp now, media day the other day. It's football season, my friend. Yes, it is. And I love the fact that so far the weather has realized that. It has been cool. It's been stormy. It has been fall-like since the start of August. I love that. It's it's All the feelings are coming together, and it's making you... I mean, for me, I've been ready to run through a brick wall since uh, the 1st of August. So, <laughs> you got any brick walls for me, Jim? None that I want to have come down, T. Frank. However, when I do... I will reach out to you to take care of that. Let's move on to actual football talk, though. As much as I want to talk media day and everything that went on there, this conference realignment stuff will not end. And credit this for essentially the implosion of the Pac-12 before USC and UCLA could suit up for a Big Ten game Guess what? We get two more teams, Oregon and Washington, joining the conference. What's your take? Well, I go back all the way to, I believe it was when Texas bolted for the SEC. And the ACC, the Big Ten, and uh, the Pac-12 all signed an agreement. I cut, you know, the, the, the alliance is what they called it. I called it the, the League of Extraordinary Pinky Promises because there was absolutely no way. There was nothing binding about their agreement to say, hey, we're going to maintain the college football order. And then, like, less than a year later, the Big Ten goes Game of Thrones and stabs the, big t- the Pac-12 in the back and takes away UCLA and USC. So um, this has been in the work for a while. Like, if you go back to right afterwards, right after that happened, where USC becomes a Big Ten school, there were rumors that that the Big Ten was also interested in the other Pac-12 schools that we hear now. But Kevin Warren left as the commissioner. So there was kind of this power vacuum for a little bit where, where the Big Ten didn't have a leader for, for a couple of months. Now Tony Petiti, he's been officially introduced to Big Ten Media Day. Things are up and running. And it just kind of feels like they took a break in the middle of what this was going to be their plan all along. So not surprising. But it's always surprising when this stuff happens. Like, even if you predict it to happen, the traditions of college football, which is what college football is built around, it's the separating factor for it. Those are, you know, coming tumbling down. And I know that, you know, fans can feel bad about it and they can feel, um, I guess, put out or betrayed at a certain point uh, in this process. And I think that's fair. But this is kind of this is kind of the logical destination of college football as consolidating power and and the structures that we're going to get two super conferences it's going to go to a professional type model i think and we're going to see something similar to what we see in the nfl maybe with different um you know different quirks about it but we've been going this way for a very long time and it's just this is accelerated since 2019 i guess what i think would be really ironic is if we eventually get there, as you said, the super conferences, kind of like the NFL, where they start to split things up geographically, 
mm-hmm. and we end up where we started, <laughs> where there's the Pacific division of the yeah. Big Ten, which is all the leftover Pac-12 teams who are yeah. now officially part of the Big Ten, and they'll break them up geographically. Now, T. Frank, what happened, though, as you said, USC-UCLA comes into the Big Ten, and some of the the other Pac-12 teams are left hanging. But they pretty much were left hanging there until it became pretty obvious the Pac-12 was not going to get a television contract that satisfied their members. Yeah. So does that – in the end, is this really just like it always is? It's about television money driving these changes. Absolutely. That that's why USC left. You know, this is this goes back to the last Pac-12 commissioner who couldn't secure a Pac-12 uh network deal for the television stations out west and and that failure to create that revenue and to create that environment for growth for the the member institutions is what led to all of this. And the Big Ten and the SEC, they are leaders in what's going on right now. The ACC, I think they have a problem. Their their rights are locked in for so long. And the buyout, as we've talked about with Clemson and Florida State, the rumors around them wanting to leave for the Big Ten as well, um, that that's the that's what's keeping the ACC in this. But with the rest of the – basically the rest of the schools in the Pac-12 going to the Big 12, you know, now we've consolidated down to four conferences essentially um, because – there is no Pac-12 network to speak of. And when you're negotiating with Apple and it's going to be behind a paywall and you're going to be, um, you're, you're paid, and this was the plan, you're paid on um, the number of uh, streamers watching games. So like the actual, the actual viewership is going to drive revenue in this situation. That is not a sustainable model for the school. And that is, again, going to put these schools and these institutions behind every other school in terms of revenue, which is resources, which is everything else. And that's why I think you see it's pretty clear why everyone that left the Pac-12 left the Pac-12. Uh, and and we'll see what happens after that. We might have more stability now than we have uh, for a little bit, but, you know, maybe just for two years. <laughs> you know, once the college football playoff um, expands to 12 and then for two more years, then the deal is over and we don't know what comes after that. So, all of these moves and things that are happening, they're happening in short order. And then more change is coming after that. Okay, T. Frank, it's obvious the schools out West, Pac-12 collapsing. It's a financial move that they pretty much have to make. How about from the Big Ten side? Mm-hmm. Adding USC and UCLA, you had USC, the national brand name. You also have both those teams in the L.A. market obvious that's why they want them it makes sense for the big 10 to bring them in but how about oregon and washington does that make sense financially for the big 10 so this is where i'm I'm personally a little bit murky i haven't done as much research or haven't listened to enough uh, experts talk about the big 10 media deal i know that there was some sort of shortfall with the big 10 media deal and what they agreed to and what they could deliver to their tv partners so yeah, it'll it'll limit it'll lower the payout for each school, but was that artificially high to begin with? And and I I shouldn't speculate too far because I there's probably the answer out there and it's obvious and I just haven't gotten to it yet. Um, but I think the main thing here is that the 
the plan is changing. I think we've talked about with uh, the the these expansions of conferences. We're talking about media markets. We're talking about capturing states and putting your television channel on all of these states. You know, their Directv's, their dishes, their everything in in that market. I think it's now switching to just world domination. So it doesn't really matter at this point if you're getting it. You, you want to establish and you want to get the highest quality brand that brings you both. But I do think that the way this is going, it does open up the door for a Notre Dame to join the Big Ten, because at a certain point, it's going to just be we've tipped past where it's a strategic divvying up of markets. And it's now just get as many of the big names as you can. And oh, by the way, target big markets, because that's the best of both worlds. So um you know, Washington and Oregon, those are new markets for the Big Ten, obviously. So now that they have the West Coast in general. Um, so and Oregon, obviously, a, a major brand in college football. Uh, so those, all of those things make sense. Uh, who is next? Because I, do, I don't think this is over. Uh, that's what I'm going to be interested in. Who's the next to fall? Feels like the ACC avoided a a catastrophe here but we'll see how long they can avoid that catastrophe and then what what happens to the big 12 like do they have enough schools that are of quality enough to compete in a playoff world that's going to be dictated by the big 10 and the sec um so these conferences and and who throws their weight around is going to be a lot about the future of college football and i believe you're also referencing when you talk about fulfilling the contract nbc has the evening contract Big Ten has an issue with November games Yeah, um, here in the Midwest or in Pennsylvania in November, the cold weather and all. You'll have more opportunities with West Coast teams to fulfill that obligation. I'm still also wondering if there'll be a new contract for that late night time slot. <laughs> you mean you know, the Big, Big Ten, Ten, Ten after dark? <laughs> That's what I'm talking about, Big yeah. Ten after dark. Where, you know, if the West Coast schools, you might not uh, have that much interest on the East Coast or the Midwest, but all of a sudden, and it doesn't have to be the very top end games, you know, Oregon, Ohio State. Yeah. But if you have Wisconsin versus Washington and you play it, you know, 730 on the West Coast, but 1030 here in the East, will that get a television audience? I, I think it will. Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of it. Plus, just the fact adding two more teams, it adds inventory. So, Frank T. Frank, with the last couple minutes we have left, I want to ask actually a football question. What happens now competitively, you know, in the Big Ten? I think we just managed to, you know, wrap our heads around USC and UCLA coming in with USC probably being a premier program. What does Oregon and Washington do to the competition in the Big Ten? I mean, this is this is an interesting question because we frame everything in terms of how do you get to the playoff, right? So you can't lose, but that's ending this year. So this year, nothing. Next year, it expands to 12 teams. So it lowers the opportunity for, um, I guess, overall and any one individual team getting to the college football playoff when it expands to 12, but also it ups the odds for the big 10 to get more teams in because they have more quality teams. You know, that that's something that I don't really know. So if you talk about Penn state specifically, 
I don't know that this has a huge impact on Penn State because they're already in one of the toughest divisions in football. So honestly, 2024, we've all looked at the schedule and, and people say, wow, that schedule is way easier than what they've been locked into for the last seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years. Um, how it is adjusted going forward, we don't know how they plan to schedule. We don't know how if they're going to do pods, how they're going to go uh, in general with non-conference versus conference games and and what's the plan outside of 24 we've looked ahead basically one year but we don't know like is Penn State going to play Oregon every four years at this point and and then does it really matter so I think for the most part to sum this up from recruiting to competition things are going to get a little bit easier on the competition side initially and then um it'll largely stay the same you know I, I genuinely think things will stay the same for for Penn State in terms of what they are facing the Big Ten Very good, T. Frank. That's it for quarter number one. Stick around. Quarter two, I'm going to start asking T. Frank about Media Day. Stay tuned for that. Hey, guys. This is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. It's quarter number two on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number two. He's T. Frank. I'm Jim. T. Frank, we spent the first segment talking about more conference realignment, the addition of Oregon and Washington. Now let's turn our attention to Penn State specifically. Penn State held the media day a few days ago. You were there. First of all, just could you give us the overview? What is it like on media day to be there? Yeah, it's a. Uh, I said this the other day. It's got big first day of school vibes. Everyone's showing up in their <laughs> new kicks, got their new shirt. Everyone looking clean. Everyone's excited talking to each other. Are, Very crowded. Are you talking day about the too. players, or are you talking about the players or the media? Oh, the media. No, no, no. The media. Yeah, everyone <laughs> just walking into the room for the first time in a while, and like it's not like it's the first time in a while because there's Penn State does a great job of providing access, truthfully, and they've added some over the last couple of years of talking to us in June and Lift for Life and different things where you can go and and talk to people and players and 
different opportunities, but it's different being in the media room where it's like, there's that buzz of this is the season has started. And, um, you know, I was talking to some people there yesterday and some, uh, some of the other members of the media were like that not as many people as I expected. And, you know, I'm sitting in the back row with my camera, getting it ready to, to record James Franklin's press conference, put on our YouTube page. And I'm looking out and I'm like, there are people in every single row in the back. Plus all, almost all the seats in the front were filled. So, there is anticipation. There is excitement. There is um, people are interested in this team this year because of their potential and and the you know the idea that this is an offseason darling for the college football playoff team. So after that, it just becomes about you know it's kind of like getting on a roller coaster, and this is way too inside uh, baseball sort of thing where it's like when you're in the media and you're doing a bunch of different things, everything's happening quickly. So by the time that you are adjusted to like the speed of everything. You're sitting down for the media lunch and you're then waiting to go to practice. So it's a very long day and it's a very uh, quick day all at the same time. But the energy and the excitement that fans feel like that is a palpable thing in the media room on on media day. Well, let's talk about James Franklin's conversation with the media. Uh, Very early on, it appeared somebody within the media kind of baited James about uh, the expectations for this year's team. And James Franklin, he didn't fall for it, okay? He didn't place those playoff expectations on this team. But what he did say instead was how much more depth this team has. And again, he went on, and perhaps you could help us out with this. He talks in terms of being two and a half deep. So I don't think that that was a a bait. Uh, And I know that that's what... what, uh... Franklin said at the podium, and and I think he's a little bit kidding. You got to be careful whenever you say something. If there is an opinion baked into uh, your question, James will say, I don't know that I'd put it the way you phrased it, or I don't. But he has said in so many words over the season how excited he is for this team because of those things. So it's a logical assumption for somebody to, and I, I would do this as well, a logical assumption for somebody to think, this team has real chances. And that's also what we just talked about of this excitement around Penn state. Everyone is saying they have a chance to to get to college football playoff, but James Franklin will not say those words directly. And if he agrees with that, then it's basically like he has. So um, that, that particular question talking about the depth and, and how he phrases it is to say, this is a really good team that has uh, answers at a lot of positions and has uh, the ability to weather injury storms where, you know, in past games, you look at the Ohio state game, they were down to their fourth tackle or their third tackle at that point, excuse me. And they got down at the end of the game to their fourth tackle. Neither of their starting tackles ended that game from the start of the season. So, you know, if you have depth and you are deep across the board and James Franklin feels optimistic and positive about the progress of certain positions like defensive tackle, um, maybe less receiver, but he likes the numbers there from what it sounds like, uh, then you feel confident that you have that too deep across the board to compete and to weather storms and to have competition to make some cream rise to the top. Somebody is going to break out because of that pressure cooker of intensity. So like all of those things wrapped up in that one answer are to say, yes, this team does have expectations and they do expect to be very good, but it's the difference of saying it out loud of, you know, setting that goal from James Franklin and betraying his one and no mentality thing and saying that we think we can win 
week in and week out. And, and the, the, you know, they're kind of the same thing, but for Franklin, they're very different. All right. Speaking of depth and weathering injuries, uh, this wasn't James Franklin commenting on it, of course, but we found out that Smith Vilbert defensive end is out for the year. If the, you always hate to hear that before yeah. the season even starts, but if there's a position that could weather it, it's probably defensive end. Yeah. I mean, that's a position that James Franklin talked about going two and a half deep. You've got two start, you got two starters, two backups that can play and you feel maybe not interchangeable, but great about. And then um, Zariah Fisher has had a great camp so far and looked great in the spring game. Very active, very good coverage defender in space from that defensive end position, which with as much zone blitzing as they do, that's an asset. Um, so you've got five really good defensive ends. And then Smith Vilbert, you know, is going to be fighting for that fifth position with Zariah Fisher. And I know that a lot of fans based on the bowl game two years ago, think that Smith Vilbert has a lot of talent and potential, but it's just, it's about, not flashing and and actually consistently putting it together. So, I mean, there's a reason he is not a part of the conversation when we talk about the top four, despite being a veteran player and, you know, having the size and physicality and having good tools. He just, you got to put it all together. And a lot of guys have at that position. And he was still fighting for, you know, positioning on the roster down in the five, six spots. So you, you, this is always a dance, right? This is a dance of saying like, you, you don't want to disparage a player and you don't want to say like, oh, they'll be fine without him because you never know. But at the same time, as you mentioned, they have a lot of talent at that position. And Smith was not where I think some fans expected him to be based on his performance in that one particular game. So um, that's kind of the, the long answer and the kind of we're beating around the bush on a lot of this stuff. But that's that's where we are with that position where it's it's um, you never want to lose anybody. But as you said. If there's a position to do it, that would be the one. And it's in a position on the depth chart where you won't feel that impact week one. Okay, T. Frank. I've always suspected that James Franklin listens to our segments with you. Okay, <laughs> T. Frank. I'm, I'm commi- and now I've got further proof. Yeah. When he talked about the safety position and he said the two deep might actually be better than last year and they're losing Jair Brown. No one person would replace that production necessarily, but the several guys would do it. I think he was quoting your safety segment on better or worse. Uh, so I, this is one of those things where I, I feel good, uh, where things that I think and say independently of, of, of the coaching staff, when they then say it later, it's like, Okay, so I, I I'm not I'm not full of it. That's good to know. Like you know that that sort of imposter mentality sort of thing of like just a good check saying okay, I am seeing this the right way. And yeah, that's the reality is it's a talented position, but there's something about getting your hands on the football and having ball skills and being a ball hawk for you know to use a cliche term that you can't just say you're going to replace. You can't just go okay, yeah, we're going to get ten interceptions. Uh, over the last two years, we're going to get another eight from somebody this year. That's just, you can't, you can't bank on that. So who are the guys that are going to step up and do that? And there's a lot of talent at the position, even going down into the freshman class. And the opportunity is there. 
but the veterans have to step up. It's not going to be all KJ Winston and Zaki Wheatley. This has to be a collective effort between the four of them to replicate what Jair Brown did. Because again, going back to what he did, it was literally everything. I went through the, the Prowler position week by week last year, and I looked at how it evolved over time with Abdul Carter being in inserted in the lineup. And Tig Brown, basically, when there was a problem, he solved it for them. He played a ton of different positions. He played a ton of different coverages. And that versatility, I don't know that I see one guy on this roster that has obvious experience and talent to do that. Now, some of the guys have the talent to be better than Tig Brown, truthfully, but they've got to develop the skills and the intangibles and all those things to put that into practice. And that's the biggest unknown, kind of like a quarterback of, you can have all the talent in the world, but the innate ability to play and to produce, that's a big question mark. Well, T, Frank, you would like to consider affirmation. I'd like to think of it as James Franklin just listening and learning (laughs) from you. Yeah, that's Uh, definitely it. Let's move on. It was interesting also. James Franklin talked about Dante Cephas, mm-hmm. the transfer wide receiver coming in. It's always interesting, isn't it, that adjustment a player has to make when making a transfer and also a step up in conference competition. Yeah. Yeah, I I'm getting a lot of the same vibes that we got from Mitchell Tinsley and the way James Franklin has talked about Cephas. So take that for what you will. The only difference is that Cephas was not here in January for these things for us to say, hey, how is Dante Cephas doing during spring practice? And James Franklin to say, yeah, he's getting better in the weight room and he's getting bigger and stronger and faster. He's just had a truncated version of that coming during the, I think, spring or June. I I, I apologize. I forget exactly when it was, but after spring camp. So those things still have to happen. He still has to get bigger and stronger and faster in the weight room. And as Franklin talked about, it's great to do it against Georgia in one week or Oklahoma in another, but like you're facing that level of competition every single week and you've got to adjust to that. And that's really what I've seen from him through two open practices so far. He's been one of the last scholarship players to go through the line at each position when they're going through individual periods, not when we're seeing the two deep and we're seeing the the offenses running plays, but when we're going through the individual drills, he's sitting back watching and kind of getting the lay of the land. We'll have to see week and a half, two weeks into the three week training camp. If at some point he starts to push and he starts to be the guy that's now near the front of the line and he's being more aggressive during all of those things. So, that has been just a preliminary understanding of Dante Cephas. He's not going to step in right away and be the number one guy at that Z position. He is going to work his way into that, and we're going to see where that gets him and the offense long-term. He's going to be a part of the conversation. He's going to play, but starting out of the gate, maybe not. And, and that's you know one of the things of not being here for spring ball that I think changed the plan from what it was when they recruited him to Penn State out of the portal. And this is where fans have to understand that, too, and show a little bit of patience. Yeah. Game one, he may not be your leading receiver or may not even be the starter, but allow for that transition time. It's not maddening. Everything changes. You're not plugging him right right into a position and his skill numbers make him work. Like, this is a person that's got to learn. Very good. All right, that is it for quarter number two, T. Frank. Stick around. Quarter three, we're going to take your questions. Stay tuned for that. Hey, guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. 
Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. Let's get back to the action on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number three. He's T. Frank. I'm Jim. It's time for Ask T. Frank. This is where we take your questions for T. Frank. He gives the great answers as always. And at the end, he'll pick out the best question. They will win the 409tailgateclub.com prize. T. Frank, sir, are you ready? Uh, yes. One of these days, I'm going to say no, and it's going to throw the whole thing into a loop. But uh, not today. I am once it again prepared. It will become a very short segment at that point, <laughs> T. Frank. Yeah. So let's start with our friend Brad in Percocy. Since we talked about the conference realignment, adding Oregon and Washington, uh, Brad asked, do you think the Big Ten will take a look at Clemson and Florida State? Also, are you disappointed Utah isn't going to be in the Big Ten? <laughs> and I suspect he may have asked that question yeah. because of his final question, which is, lastly, how did you meet your wife if she went to Utah? Yeah, so that one's easy. Uh, she <laughs> moved out here um, to Pennsylvania 10 years ago, and we met at the gym. So just one of those, the stars align. She She's a personal trainer. I was in desperate need of personal training. And, uh, you know, we started talking at the gym because I was terrible at lifting weights, even though I thought I knew what I was talking about and doing. As every 20-year-old aggro male of the gym thinks they know exactly what they're doing, <laughs> uh, you know, lifting weights. She was just annoyed that I was doing it wrong and lifting a lot of way more weight than I was supposed to be able to do. So she's corrected my form since then. But, uh, yeah, the Utah not being in the, uh, in the Big Ten, I think it's a bit of a bummer because they're a better program than Washington right now. And I think institutionally, other than not having as many resources – Look at look at the Pac-12. I think this should show you everything you need to know about the Pac-12 and their future in college football is that uh, a program, and I mean this respectfully, a program on the level of Minnesota, somewhere between Minnesota and Iowa, 
was running the Pac-12 the last two years. They made it the Rose Bowl two years in a row. They are a, a really good, well-coached program. The coach is a little bit too old school for me, but he got a quarterback that he trusted, and they became more aggressive. You know, they go for it on fourth down, and in big situations, they'll they'll you know throw the ball more. They just need to get that you know institutional money essentially, and the, the Pac-12 dissolving. They're in the Big 12 now, so my in-laws are pretty frustrated. They they were asking me if there's a way that I could, I could backdoor them into the, the Big 10, and I was like, listen, I, I'm I'm just here along for the ride like the rest of you. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that the it just goes to show you it's not about the quality of the program. It's about a bunch of other factors. What was the first question? Because I got derailed by all the other stuff. Do you think the Big 10 will take a look at Clemson and Florida State? Yeah, so the... If you've heard a rumor, and Brad, the reason you're asking is because you've heard the same rumors, you've seen the same headlines that I have. Yeah, of course they will. They probably already have, and they probably got halfway through it, and then the ACC's charter and the buyout were too big for it to make financial sense, so put a pin in it for now and see if your lawyers can find a way around it because that's what I'm saying. Like The, the knives are out, so somebody is getting stabbed. And uh, it looks like the ACC, they are the conference that is next on the list to devour because the Big 12's already been poached. And so the ACC, they got some valuable institutions and some valuable American continental real estate. Yeah, they're probably next. All right. And just to add on to that, why not Utah? There are other elements, market size. It's why they're yeah. talking about Cal and Stanford before Utah the yeah. other part of this is academic reputation. I know, I know. It's still about, you know, USC and UCLA aren't in because of their academics. It's the LA market and those things. But the Big Ten presidents, they still want to talk about academics. Yeah. I don't know where Utah stands academically, but I know they don't have the larger markets. That's part of it also. And by yep. the way, I've always been fascinated by that academic standard. If you're using the same textbook and teaching the same things, you know, if two plus two equals four at Harvard, it also is at Utah. You know what I mean? That's yeah. the, the actual content of what is being learned in those classes. It's so it a lot of that is about reputation. Let's go to Ryan in Woodlands, Texas, who says. Can elite defensive ends like uh, Denai Dennis Sutton make up for average play at the defensive tackle spot this year so we can compete for the with the Big Ten elites? Long-term, we need elite Southeast Conference-type defensive tackles to compete for titles, but maybe can Scheme cover up for that this year? Uh, first off, Ryan, glad to have you here. Um I, I no, no, not in not in the overall sense of the word, maybe from a pass rushing perspective. And that's something Dion Barnes talked about uh, at media day is, you know, he one thing he wants to see the D tackles do is win more one on ones. And that's in the run game and in the passing game where you're getting legitimate pressure from the interior. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm big on denying Dennis Sutton as an interior pass rusher. I made the comparison to Manny Diaz, and, and I don't I don't know that he loved answering the question of the. Greg Rousseau, 2019, had 16 sacks, and I believe five or six of them came on third down from a nose tackle position in, in the Prowler package. And uh, Greg Rousseau, they call him Groot because he's got 36-inch arms. Powerful uh, power rusher. Denied Dennis Sutton. 
33, 34-inch arms, power rusher, size, strength, length. The comparison is there. So, yeah, I, I think in certain situations, you can, but you're not, you're not reducing him down in to play the run. The, the, the defensive tackles for Penn State still have to play the run, and they still have to, you still have to use your base defense on rundowns because you've, you've got a, You've got to play real foot. And this is going to sound disparaging. You got to play real football. Like you do have to play standard alignments and you can't just scheme your way around everything. At a certain point, it's third and four. You need your defensive tackles to hold their gaps and allow linebackers or somebody on the defensive line to get in the backfield and make a tackle so that you can get the, the, the defense off the field. You're not going to find ways to get guys into position. So there is some scheme that you can do and there's some stuff that you can do, but I don't think you're putting denied Dennis Sutton down there anytime outside of third down. If he wins that competition and Zane Durant isn't the guy at nose tackle because they've got good options there. It's just, again, that first and second down, do they have the defensive tackles to hold up in the 10 plays a game where they're going to be challenged by double teams and, and getting off the ball and all that stuff. And I think from the size and aggression standpoint, they do have the skills to make that happen. All right, let's go to Mike in Harrisburg, who says, Spending my Friday night taking in the news of two more teams joining the Big Ten and also realizing that blows up the 24 schedule. But if Penn State never joined the Big Ten, where do you think they would have been in terms of a conference from the early 90s when they entered the Big Ten to present day? Oh, everyone knows that I am the historian here. Like, I should absolutely be answering questions about something that happened when I was four. Um, you want me you to know, take I'll, this I'll, one to you, Frank? <laughs> sure, sure. I'll I'll just go ACC, but I don't know. Like, you know, I I, ha I do have some history perspective of, like, the Big East and, and, you know, some of the conferences that Joe Paterno wanted to create and everything that didn't happen. Um, who knows? You know, like, if all of that stuff happens, is there a rival to the Big Ten in the East? Because there isn't, and there hasn't been. But yeah, you take it away. Well, understanding where things were at the timing, and it's kind of reversed, it was Penn State and Joe Paterno were, was looking to create a an all-East conference, an all-sports Eastern conference. Yeah. And it's when that fell through, the Big Ten was actually plan B, not yeah. the other way around. And, you know, I think if you're going to do the conjecture thing, it maybe should have been, okay, what if that had formed? And you would have had, you know, the Syracuses, Rutgers, Pitt, Penn State, perhaps Maryland, which was more like, more, you know, uh, acclimated to the Mid-Atlantic Northeast than probably the ACC would join Boston College. And you'd have yeah. that kind of conference. I do think also when you mentioned, and by the way, the reason why that ha didn't happen was basketball. Yeah. Big East basketball was so big at the time that that was the driving force, not football. Yeah. You were going to say, T. Frank? I was just going to say that you list those schools and maybe uh, the last 30 years, things change for a Syracuse and a Pitt uh, if they're in a conference where it's, you know, I, I just, I, you you list those schools and I think Penn State is lucky to be in the Big Ten. You know, for the, where we are now, if they were a part of a dying conference, they would be behind. They would be historically behind from a revenue and all of those perspective because they are not in the conference that is leading in, in realignment or is at least second in realignment. So, yeah, I, I don't think that it would have been a good thing for Penn State. They would have been in a precarious position. Well, I think history would have totally changed. I don't know for the better, but the possibility was there also 
to go down the East Coast and pick up like Miami and Florida State. Mm-hmm. And it could have been a really, really good conference. Having, if you though go Mike's premise and eliminate, say it didn't work out with the Big Ten, that they voted against it, would the ACC have come in? Now, remember, uh, Florida State, Miami ended up as part of the ACC. So the ACC expanded not too long after that. Yeah, Would it not have been smart of the ACC to bring in Penn State? And had they, would you still have had the ACC collapse? Or would it be, you know, with uh, Penn State, Florida State, Pitt at the time was a better program, uh, Clemson, Florida State, Miami, might it be a premier conference as opposed to now just hanging on by the grant of rights? Yeah. Okay, look, let's, uh, let's go to Sean in Brookville who says, is this season make or break for Penn State's hopes of becoming a dominant force in the Big Ten? It seems like an increasingly difficult path as quality teams continue to be added to the conference. Are we running out of time? Are we running out of time? No, no time. I'm not going to say time is infinite, but uh, you know, there are plenty. They do this every year and I wouldn't, again, I don't look at Oregon as a demonstrably better team and institution than Penn state. The only thing they got going for them, I think that's an advantage is they have Nike. They have the NIL backing and they have a little bit more of that, but Penn state has been making some progress there. Uh, USC, that's a that's an issue. Penn State probably the fourth best team in the in the Big Ten now, as opposed to the third best team in the Big Ten. Um, but if Penn State fixes, Pat Kraft is very confident, very bullish on Penn State's future. He basically said, if we get out of our own way, the sky's the limit at Penn State. And I tend to agree, like with the national brand recognition that Penn State has. Uh, there's a there's always going to be a, a section of like the sky is falling, but Penn State has great institutional stability with James Franklin being here for ten years. They have uh, they have been surging in recruiting to a consistent level. They just need the backing and support of the administration side to focus on these things and and, and let it grow. And I, I think that they're in a position to do that now. So I know I don't think that, that you should be worried that they're going to take a slide in the middle of the Big Ten. That is it for quarter number three. Stick around quarter four. We're going to name our winner. Stay tuned. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, 
local information from Penn State's hometown website, statecollege.com. Trust statecollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. We head to the home stretch in quarter number four on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. He's T. Frank. I'm Jim. It's quarter number four. T. Frank, we just finished up our Ask T. Frank segment. We need to name a winner. Who's it going to be? Uh, we're going with Ryan in Woodland because he asked me something about football. <laughs> a conference realignment is is a is a, a snake eating its own tail. At some like it's a circular conversation. We're not going to ever solve any of those things. So I, I felt more at home with Ryan's question uh, over over some of the other ones. I just want to I want to add on just kind of tack on to Sean and Brookville here at the end, though about Penn State and the danger of moving down in the Big Ten. Yes, it is a possibility if Penn State is not committed to being one of the top schools in college football. But that is the same argument you would have had five years ago. So as long as they're moving in that direction, I think that the the institutional structure, you know, the scaffolding to build something great is here. Uh, I was told, I had a family reunion over this weekend, and I was told that, recruiting was going to take a big hit for Penn state and Wisconsin with the joining of these guys uh, that, that have joined UC USC, UCLA, Washington, Oregon into the big 10. And then there was a question during uh, recruiting, uh, you know, about recruiting during media day on Sunday about going into Oregon and recruiting. That's not how this works. Every school recruits regionally and then has a national target base of top players everywhere. So, yes, USC came in and uh, scooped up David Polly Polly. That's not because they're in the Big Ten. That's because they're USC and they have the infrastructure to have a national brand. So Penn State's not going to Oregon outside of the select players like Vega Yuane to go get players because they're playing them once every four years now. They're going to recruit their traditional recruiting base, which, by the way, extends into Florida at this point with Jaywan Sider. Like, they're regularly getting guys out of Florida. Um, so the recruiting, the only thing that's going to change is that USC, instead of being a Pac-12 school, is a Big Ten school. So Penn State will finish fourth in, in recruiting, but still be 10th overall in the nation. Like, that, it's just reshuffling that. So as long as Penn State and James Franklin continue to do what they're doing, it's really not going to change their recruiting or their competition or their competence level um, because every school has more competition. Now you think Texas and and Texas A&M and the SEC isn't making it harder. The only difference is those teams in the SEC have the, the, you know, eight conference schedule, uh, eight game conference schedule from before that has allowed them to get in the college football playoff. And also like just who they are, the, the Alabamas and the Georgias and their institutional programs of, focusing on football and and not having 31 schools and all the other stuff we talked about for years and years and years in the offseason. Th- that's the difference here is that, you know, Penn State is now on, you know, James Franklin talked about Pat Craft, Neely Bandapudi, that they have uh, alignment, that they want to be good at football and they're going to back it up, essentially. So I, I think that it's just about competition and it doesn't matter who's in the room. Penn State is among the teams that can compete. So don't get overly concerned by this because everything's changing. And your if your paradigm is still you can't lose any games to get to the college football playoff, 
that might be changing. You know, it might be more NFL model where you can be 10 and six and get into the playoff in in an NFL model, you know, from the last 30 years. I don't know what it is now, 10 and seven, whatever. Well, I do want to get back to the media days, but I have to comment because there's so much packed into this, T. Frank, is Penn State, as you pointed out, they were in a division with Michigan and Ohio State who they had to play every single year to get to a four-team playoff. Now, with a 12-team playoff, and if you look at it at, not to disparage UCLA and Washington, but you add USC and Oregon to the mix as contenders, that I still like that math when there's 12 playoff spots. I like yeah. the math better that way yeah. uh, for, for the Big Ten and for Penn State. And as far as the recruiting goes, I'm not sure it changes a whole lot. And if you use the problem when you use one example, as I think uh, perhaps our listener was doing with USC coming into Pennsylvania and getting Polly Polly, is he not Samoan? Uh, I don't want to comment specifically on, but yes, he is uh, Polynesian Pacific Island sort of heritage. Yes. Okay. And for what it's worth, we know USC and the West Coast teams have more of a tradition of having those players. Now it's, you know, yeah. it's a geographic thing, the West Coast. But those are all factors that come into individual decisions. I hate making yeah. conclusions from one recruiting. It's like saying, as you pointed out, Yuane came from the Pacific Northwest. Don't conclude that Penn State now all of a sudden is going to be recruiting like crazy in the Pacific Northwest, basing that on one recruit. All right, yeah. T. Frank, let's move on. Let's get back to the our media day and some of James Franklin's comments from it. There were some other things that he talked about. It was kind of nice to hear him continuing on that path of depth. He talked about the depth on both lines both the offensive line and the defensive line, that's got to make fans of the team pretty happy to hear that. Yeah, and it's it's there is no change to the conversation that we've been having this offseason. It's all positive, but it is all a bit speculation. Now, they've gone through three practices, so there's a little bit more evidence, but I don't think that Franklin's comments are just because of those practices. I think it's just because of the way they've recruited the offensive line and, and the young players that they have. But again, if everyone stays healthy, this is the offensive line that they had in 2022. So the, the difference is going to be that the young players are pushing and that there's real competition, raising the level of everyone's play up front on the offensive line, especially talking about that group on the interior and then the defensive line. Um, and the options you had a defensive tackle last year may have been a bit young, they may have been a bit immature in certain places, but those guys are older now and they have put in the work. It feels like everyone has put in the work this offseason to get you, themselves to where they need to be. I, I talked to Jordan Vandenberg um, for a couple of minutes on media day and just standing next to him. He is massive. He is a huge human. And they've got a couple of those guys where before maybe they didn't. So and for him, especially, it's this is his third year in playing defensive tackle. And he talked about how it just takes time. It just takes time through the process of getting better to get better. And you're not going to rush that process because at a certain point, like you can only get so much bigger in one day. You can only put so much work in the weight room in one day. Your brain can only process so much new information and make it habit. 
in one day. So you just got to maximize each and every single day. And over the course of the last three years, essentially, he's been doing that at Penn State. So this is the year for him to to make that move and to break out and to be a part of the two deep. So, you know, certain guys are ahead of that and they, they get things a bit quicker physically or mentally. And it seems like there's a good mix of guys at the defensive line. And then, of course, at defensive end, we already, we already talked about how deep and talented that group is. All right, T. Frank, let's talk about one of your favorite topics. Let's talk about kickers. And oh, James good. Franklin, oh, boy. <laughs> in talking about several other positions, James Franklin used the adjective deep. Those positions mm-hmm. were deep. At specialists, he said there was competition. So my question for you is, all right, are you glass half full or glass half empty? He had scholarship punter, scholarship kicker, and he chose through the portal to bring in another punter and another kicker. So what does that tell you? Uh, the first thing it tells me is that I am pulling up the specialists so they get everyone's <laughs> name right. Um, score touchdowns and kicks are less meaningful. Uh, that's where I'm going to start. And, and I know that that's a cop out, but if you're going for a 53 yard field goal on fourth and two and not trying to get a first down and score seven in the long term, you are setting yourself up to play too close of a game. So you do need a clutch kicker and that's where the competition and trying to put those guys in that situation to, to, uh, get better, whether it's Falcons or Sanders, a at the kicker position, to make those clutch field goals, I think timely field goals and consistency are the thing here. I, I don't know that superstar kicker is something that I think is necessary for a national championship because, you know, it clutch kicking and, and timely kicking is incredibly important. But I don't want my team thinking, okay, we're at the 40. We're it's third down. Like, it's fine. We'll settle for three because we know we have Justin Tucker. I don't want that. I want my team to be aggressive if I'm if I'm building the the personality of a team. I want them trying to score seven. From the punting position, uh, the the defense being very good, you want to be able to use those things and back teams up and put lots of pressure on an offense. But the defense is that good. So, you know, a lot of this can be mitigated by, okay, we put our defense out there in a bad position, but they still shut the team down three and out and punt. Um. I'm not giving you a great answer here, honestly, but it's just, it's, it's a situation with the punning uh, competition and the kicking competition. I don't know that I feel great about the punning competition and the kicking competition. I, I, there's, there's a lot of unknowns with the development of Sanders to Haydak, how it isn't going. I think the way that you would want for a guy that I think was a five-star from the kicking gurus, um, but I don't have the, I don't have the experience in doing special teams to tell you like what's going on good or bad. And we're going to find out together. So yeah, it's not great. Uh, but at least they have options they feel good about, but ultimately you need one of each. And if, if there's not one guy that's rising to the top, then you do have a problem kind of like quarterback. And that is the, um, thing that scares me is, did we feel like we needed to bring in transfer portal specialists because we weren't so confident in what we did have. Another interesting comment from uh, James Franklin in the last minute we have here, T. Frank, is he went out of his way to praise the number three quarterback, Jackson Smolik. When we've yeah. all been talking about the competition between Drew Aller and Bo Perbola, he pointed out that there's another quarterback there doing well. Yeah, you need three quarterbacks. You need three scholarship quarterbacks, and they're all – 
young. But this goes back to what we've talked about when we talk about recruiting. Uh, they aren't recruiting guys that they hope to develop into quarterbacks. They are recruiting guys that have a mind for the position and that in Jackson Smollett's case, you know, watching him play in some playoff games and some clutch situations in high school, he's got a bit of a stone cold killer vibe about him. Like, uh, you know, I, I joke, I joked with him, I think on our, on our YouTube show one time, like he's got that dead eyed, uh, gunslinger sort of thing where he doesn't blink in this, in, in the face of pressure. So when it comes to being on the field and making plays, he seems to adapt and evolve quickly. But as they pointed out, he needs to get smarter in the offense, which takes time, just like Jordan Vandenberg, a defensive tackle. It's just the quarterback has more information to process. But they recruit guys that have a mind and an application for the position where they're going to aggressively absorb that knowledge and then deploy it. And you just wonder with Jackson Smolik and Bo Perbula, they don't have the same physical talent as a Drew Aller but they're better than people give them credit for because they're being compared to a guy that was a five-star. Very good, T. Frank. That's going to have to be the last word. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Hey, guys. This is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love.